0: Welcome to Spark.Grow, a series of conversations on topics that are critical to companies and people that want to grow, scale, and maintain their performance. Spark.Grow is brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark and hosted by Dave Haviland, founder of Fimation, based in Ann Arbor. This conversation was recorded in the podcast studios at the Ann Arbor District Library. Now we'll turn it over to Dave Haviland for this conversation. Hello, this is Dave Haviland with the Spark.Grow podcast, and we're here today with Brenda Jones, who. Is going to tell us about her still to start with. Okay. Welcome.
1: Uh, thank you. Mm. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, where I currently am is I'll start where I am. I'm the CEO of an early stage spin out of the University of Michigan. Mm. The name of the company is Ulendo, um, and that is a Chichewa word meaning voyage or mm. journey. And the founder of the company selected that name because we are on a journey. Um, to improve the quality and speed of advanced manufacturing machines like 3D printers and industrial robots. So that's what I'm doing now. But mm. the, the path to where I am now is a kind of a winding road, as is probably with many people. Mm. You start in one direction and things happen in life, and they take a twist and your path takes twists and turns. Mm. But uh, to give you a little sense of the path, most of my career has been in software. I settled on software when I started my MBA program at the University of Michigan in the way, way back time, Jurassic period. (laughs) Um, And at the time when I had to pick a specialty, I saw, this was at the time when it wasn't really clear that computers were going to be as big as they are now, but I looked at it and I said, okay, computer information systems, which is what it was called at the time, we don't use that term (laughs) anymore, that's what I picked. I joined Coopers and Lybrand as my first, you know, professional yeah. job, doing IT auditing and then consulting for software, and that just that really started my career in leadership positions at different companies. CIO at one company, VP of Professional Services at another, kind of a string of gigs like that. Um, the when I was working at MyBuy's and and going up to a more recent job. We were acquired by a very large company, much larger than us, based in New York City. Our company was headquartered in San Mateo with a big office here in Ann Arbor. And sometimes, as you know, when there's an acquisition of one company of another, you know not everybody makes it in the, the combination of the companies. And I could see the writing on the wall. my mm-hmm. my job was going to be eliminated, but mm-hmm. it was very clear. it was not a big surprise. So I started to try to find a stage two software company, mm-hmm. meaning if folks don't know what stage two is, a company that's already got a, a good, solid product market fit, they have some revenue and they're about to scale. They're starting mm-hmm. to experience the growing pains of success and having to implement certain you know, processes and, and you know, systems right. in place to keep the thing together as it starts to grow. I was unable to find a stage two company in southeastern Michigan. Mm. So I started, I started looking all over the country. Mm. But Bill Mayer at Ann Arbor Spark found out about that and said, no, 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 no. You're not gonna leave the state. Nice. Um, why don't you do this instead? So he introduced me to the entrepreneurship program at uh, Ann Arbor Spark. Mm. And I became an entrepreneur in residence there and long story short, there's lots of lots of chapters in between that and where I am now, <laughs> I basically cycled through a couple of startups to try to find the right match mm. for me and for, you know, usually the founder. When you're joining a very early stage company, the, the chemistry between the founder mm-hmm. and someone who's really going to run the company is super, super important. So I, I actually found somebody through a through a, a networking activity, one of my one of the people in my network is Dave Gregorka, and this is one of the lessons of all business: network like crazy all the time. Yeah. Always take the call. Always go to the event if you can, because you never know who you're going to meet. I've run into people by complete surprise or happenstance that uh, uh, developed into you know long long-term relationships. Well, I was sitting down with Dave Gregorka saying, "Here, I've struck out with the stage too." So I'm going to abandon that. I want to go earlier, and here's what I'm looking for. And I described the kind of founder I was looking for, and he said, oh, my gosh, I've got the guy for you.
2: Hmm.
1: He introduced me to Senhoon Lee, who's a professor of civil engineering at the University of Michigan. He had developed a uh, an algorithm, a computer vision algorithm for ergonomics. Mm-hmm. And when I saw it, my my jaw dropped. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is great stuff! This is great stuff!" We s- we did a project together to get a sense. I, I was very clear with him. I said, "It's going to be really important that we have a good working relationship mm-hmm. together. And if it doesn't match, it's okay. It doesn't mean either of us is a bad person." So we did a project together, and it turned out we were just we we were just great yin and yang. Wow great combination he wanted to be a full-time professor he knew he couldn't run a company and he was completely trusting of me he just brought me in i and i and i took it from mm-hmm. just an idea yeah. at the university of michigan to a successful acquisition of the company in three and a half years well. so i decided that that's probably my niche and then, <laughs> and i'm and that's what lendo is too so that brings me up to what i'm currently doing which is my second now mm-hmm. University of Michigan spin-out company, very similar situation, Mm -hmm. an academic founder came up with something, but he's got a full-time job Mm -hmm. dedicated to his students, wanting to continue to focus on his academic career, but really wants to bring to the world the things that he has developed in his lab.
0: Wow. How has your leadership style evolved as you've gone through that journey?
1: Yeah. So I am not a natural Hmm. I am not. I've had to work very, very hard Hmm. at this. I've actually (laughs) thought a lot about this because I I like to be intentional about this. Early in my career, uh, I focused on execution. I thought that my value to an organization was getting things done Hmm. in an organized way, in a detailed way, an accurate way. But focusing on that too much meant that I ran over people Hmm. sometime. My energy level is very high. I'm impatient, and that came out. And you know, attention to detail is extremely high. So sometimes, if you're not also paying attention to the people part yeah. of the job, you miss the boat. And I did. Yeah. I did. Fortunately, I had people in my career who gave me feedback mm. and said, "Look, we really you, we think you're a great person, but you're not aware of is that some of the things about your working style keep you from." Mm being more successful. You could be more successful if you balanced it out a little bit.
0: Were those peers or were they coaches or
1: superiors? All. Okay. The most valuable feedback I have gotten like that in my career are people that report to me. Okay. Because I think it's, the, it's brave. Right. I think most people are afraid of that. They're afraid of retaliation. But I think they saw in me that I wasn't going to retaliate, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I was really hungry for the feedback. And some people throughout my career have had that kind of courage to say, boy, Brenda, he, when you do this, people don't like it. Like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that.
0: Did you? So you didn't necessarily seek that out. They just were willing to share that with you in the moment. When yes. they experienced it. Wow. Yes. Yeah, that's so, great.
1: yeah, I went from not really realizing the impact I was having to some of these data points trickling in to me.
0: And to your credit, you listened, because I think it was just at a client today where, you know, people are providing feedback and the person isn't listening to it. Oh, yeah. Doesn't want
1: to hear it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the first stage, right, is listening i <laughs> um, taking it to heart but then the next stage is actually doing something mm-hmm. about it or knowing what to do about mm-hmm. it I made a big big shift when I joined my buys in oh, it's probably 2011 I went into that job with all a whole you know a few years of feedback that I had co- collected and I was trying to process hmm. it all and I decided to lead in a different way hmm. To really watch micromanagement, because that my natural inclination is to go in that direction, mm-hmm. absolutely natural. So I had to pull myself out of those
0: habits. Where does that? Sorry to interrupt. Where does that come from? Like, why do you feel that drive to micromanage? Yeah. Or what have you?
1: So I have a couple of superpowers. Execution is one of mm-hmm. them. So I I feel that way, and I've been told that mm-hmm. th- throughout my career. So I don't feel, you know, like I'm being overconfident saying this, and and I'm very good at execution. And what was what was the original question? <laughs> well,
0: so, like, what are the... I'm wondering I, if I, hearing why you micromanage might be useful for other people that might have the same impulse. Drive.
1: Yes, yes. So, right, thank you. I was very confident in my execution skills. So, mm-hmm. of course, I thought my way of doing things was the right way. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go fast and have everything be very organized. Mm-hmm. That would tend to have me try to direct others at a way too detailed yeah. Uh, level, yeah. and I would basically prescribe the path, the execution path, rather than what I do now, is set up a vision and goals, and then let the path develop, but also at certain times jumping in to make recommendations or give alternative ideas.
0: I have a client right now, and I want to get back to the original point, which is wh- your, how you change your, how you intentionally change your leadership style. But I have a client right now, who is doing what you're talking about, but where they fall down is in the urgency, right? So so what you're describing is, like, you know, if if that if the CEO can do it in five days and everyone else is taking 15 days, is that an acceptable, decrease, quote, decrease in performance? Or is that just, you know, or is that not acceptable and therefore the CEO should be justified in jumping in?
1: Well, I think everyone operates in different ways and sometimes going fast is not necessarily the right way to go. So now I recognize that my urgency and execution oriented way might not be the best in all situations. Yeah, so I've, I've backed off.
2: Right, <laughs> backed right. off on
1: that right. <laughs> a little. I got to tell you though, it's I fight with it every okay. single yeah. day. It's yeah. still there. It's not going to go away because it's part of my DNA, but now I treat people differently. I communicate differently. Yeah.
0: And you probably keep some of that urgency and just use that to inform the conversations that you have with the people. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So let's get back to you start this new job and you know you're intentionally changing your leadership style. One of those dimensions is micromanaging. Mm -hmm. Were there others too?
1: Yes. So. I had thought that leadership up until then was about motivating people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had actually gotten off of the, it's not about directing people and controlling people, graduated from that, Uh then to motivating people. And the big switch for me is, at this job, I don't want to motivate people. Uh I want to inspire people.
2: Mm. What's the difference Inspiring
1: people is every day being a role model, walking the walk, talking the talk, high integrity. Bearing your your values hmm. and showing, being, what does it mean when you're, you admit that you've done something wrong? That the word is it vulnerable. Vulnerable. Thank you. Yes, yeah. showing vulnerability, yeah. and inspiring people to you know do the same thing. You know, treat people with respect. I mean, it sounds also obvious, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, it was yeah. The difference between inspiring and motivating to me. I mean, I yeah uh, yeah it, yeah more like more about that. You know, setting. Setting a rough idea, picture out, and I'm waving my hands here, way out in the future and then letting other very talented people, Mm -hmm. sometimes talented in areas that I have no Mm -hmm. knowledge of, figure out the best path.
0: Yeah. yeah. Motivation has this kind of external force feel to it. I don't know if that's what you're talking about. It
1: feels manipulative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It felt like there was a manipulation piece to the motivation. So if I want to motivate someone to do something, I'm going to do X and Y and Z and kind of set it up. Yeah. I didn't like the feel. It felt icky. Yeah. So the inspiration part is what I've adopted up until now. And I actually did see a huge change in my leadership skills, how people reacted to me and my success as
0: well. Oh, oh. And then did you have other evolutions of your leadership style as you went past My Buys and into that first startup that you talked about that you successfully sold and, and now into Yulendo? Have you evolved since then, or has it been more on the same track but just getting better at it?
1: Um, there was another evolution, which, which is very recent. Uh, so I joined Ulendo when the company had already started chugging. There were a couple of people in the organization already who Mm. had spent a year and a half Mm. doing things. I let my normal execution orientation be too strong, and I basically parachuted in. Mm. I felt like I parachuted in and just went blah, 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 Mm -hmm. activity, activity, energy, energy, Mm. do a lot of things. And what I didn't do is pay attention to the working styles, all Mm -hmm. the people on the team and that meant that there were sometimes conflicts between my go, 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 high energy, make decisions quickly style, right. and other people on the team. Mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of you know working style assessments like DISC mm-hmm. or Myers-Briggs or whatever, and you use them as tools. So another part of the evolution is we dug into, we, we picked mm-hmm. the five dysfunctions of a team as mm-hmm. a book to read as a, as a group, and we all did DISC profiles and as soon as i saw the disprofiles of the other people on my team wow. i went oh my gosh yeah. i am and i apologized i said i am so sorry i didn't mean to act this way i didn't know it had this effect on your mm-hmm. working style mm-hmm. and it's just been a sea change
0: wow <laughs> so, how long did so how long did it take to recognize that that dynamic that kind of negative dynamic was happening and then how long did it take to work on it with the book and the is that a matter of days or weeks or months or quarters? That's a good question. So it became apparent
1: maybe you know, two months in mm. that there was something that was not quite right. Mm. I didn't, it's something just didn't feel right to me based on my experiences before. And it took uh, nine months, yeah. nine months for everyone to be ready. Mm. Some people take more time to gain trust in others. They need more data points. Some people take take fewer. Um, there's no right way or wrong way. Uh, but being the very energetic person and mm-hmm. impatient person that I am, I'm like, let's get this resolved. Let's get this resolved. Yeah. But really, it was the tincture of time, yeah. and just being inspirational and showing what's in my soul. Yeah. You yeah. know, and developing, changing my communication style. Yeah. And I still think I have more more ways of growing. I'm going to continue to yeah, do that. That's
0: neat. How, where in the nine-month process did you, did you as a team, read the book about?
1: About halfway through. Okay. About okay. halfway through, and then some some urgency things with, with personal lives and the business mm-hmm. happened, and we, we got distracted away from the book and the disc profile, so we put it to the side intentionally for right. a while to focus on those more important things. And then when I felt like enough time, had passed I brought it back up again I said let's let's try this again yeah, let's yeah. let's go back and you know hit the re- I called it hitting the restart button yeah. let's go back to that day and let's start over and you know with a fresh mind and we've been s- through some stuff now so we've got some experience with all of the members of the team and it's just been unbelievable yeah, well, and yeah. I'm proud of all of us we I mean, mm-hmm. took all of us on the team to make changes and to listen and understand the working styles
0: what does is, what is your cadence of management and strategy look like with your team, and your your team is still relatively small, right? Yeah, so have you stratified into management and leadership, or you know are there are there stratifications at all such that you have different cadences of meetings for managing the company or for strategizing in the company?
1: Yes, so there are some very new members of the team who are either part time or fairly new. And are necessarily on the quote unquote you know executive team mm-hmm. that I would meet with in a different way, in a different mm-hmm. cadence, yep. different different situations. It's more it's less frequent and more informal. Uh-huh. Now with the folks that so with VP of sales or with chief operating officer, someone who's considered part of the executive team, very regular, very mm-hmm. structured. Here's what we're I always come to these meetings with a with a an agenda. Here's news I'm sharing with you. Mm. Do you have any mm-hmm. to share to the team? Does anyone have any questions? Does anybody need anything? So it's a it's kind of like a stand up if you know the agile yeah. software development type of approach. It's kind of less frequent stand ups but for a longer period of time.
0: Yeah. So is it more frequently than weekly? that you have that meeting that twice you're weekly twice i weekly. do that twice weekly that yeah, yep. makes sense do you layer on top of that a monthly structure at all a monthly meeting no okay that, no that,
1: but you know as we get bigger right I've, we're about to hire two more people and i'm always thinking this in the back of my mind it might be time yeah. to do something like that and you know you've worked at companies dave where they have you know the all hands which right. is a big production right. and you know that's like a, a quarter that's if yeah. you've got a lot of people that you're pulling away from customers and you, you want to make that very infrequent. So that
0: might happen at some point. And, and does strategy, so where does strategy happen from a meeting perspective? Does it, is it in those twice a week meetings or is it in a separate, you know, you're meeting with the professor or whatever, a board, something like that?
1: Almost every interaction that our team has, there's some aspect of strategy. So, and it doesn't even have to be in a meeting. It can be, you know, I'm I'm driving with our senior engineer to an exhibit. We have an exhibit booth and we're driving to Chicago and we're in the car for three and a half hours. Well, gosh, what a great time to talk about strategy. Yeah, You know, it's just, what do you think? You know, we have these meetings and where we talk about it, but what's your perspective? What does it look like? Do you, do you think that we have a good path and he and. He has some views,
2: yeah.
0: and mm-hmm. I was very happy yeah. to hear them. Yeah. And does does your strategy live in a document? Is it a PowerPoint? Is it an email? Like, where does it actually live?
1: Yes. So we have we have draw I'm a visual person. So I have a drawing that has the two top level um, strategies of the company or goals, mm-hmm. and those are set out. And then underneath that are the individual. They're more like definable, quantifiable. Yeah. Quarterly activities or tasks, things to achieve.
0: Are those uh, the top level. When, when you said individual, are those actually by person, or are they just more supporting of the overarching? Supporting and, of and, the overarching, yeah,
1: okay. and then the, and then sometimes at my previous company at Connecticut Labs, my, my my first spin out, I actually went that one layer uh, more down. By each individual, what is it in your role? for the next quarter that supports which ones yeah. of these yeah. so it's super clear and then i just back off and say mm-hmm. okay we've agreed on what we're going to do this quarter and how it rolls up to the top level go yeah. and if you have ideas on you know changing direction or how we maybe the way we thought we were going to attack it at the beginning of the quarter didn't really flesh out anybody's open. I'm open to hear anybody's ideas yeah. on how that could change.
0: Are you consciously developing the other part, some or all of the other people on the team from a leadership perspective?
1: Yes. So so when there are, as an example, if I have an engineer who's, you know, been basically an engineer their entire career, uh, I offer opportunities to do things that are outside their comfort zone, hmm. like doing a speech.
2: Hmm.
1: Manning an exhibit booth and talking to customers and asking, them, asking answering some of their questions or doing a webinar or doing a podcast. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, no, no, I, mm-hmm. that's a little bit too uncomfortable for me. Or it could be as simple as you're going to own your name is at the top of this project. You are deciding with our input when you need it how you're going to conduct this project. So that's an, that's a yeah. professional development opportunity as well as ownership of something.
0: And and at the, f- how many people are at the company now? Five. So at the five-person kind of level, are you doing formal professional development plans and that kind of stuff, or, or are you just handling that informally because you have so much contact?
1: So right now I'm doing it informally because uh-huh. there's so much contact. But there will be a time when we have to add some structure to it. We're did still you, a pretty flat organization. Did you
0: get to that point at? Is it Connecticut? Connecticut Labs. Yeah. So did you get to the point where you started to add in some of that structure, or did you sell? We
1: sold. It? We okay. sold the company before we got to yep. that size. Yeah.
0: Um, and that. So when you talk about stage two, part of what I think of is that that's the stage where they start to need all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So that probably is a good fit for your execution ability and all those things. You've just what had to set those to the side while you're doing the smaller companies and and not build process, not build you know, all that kind of structure that you may not need because the company's not big enough yet.
1: No, actually, I get to flex my execution skills even more in an early stage company. Mm. I didn't anticipate this. Mm. But because you only have, you know, when you only have three to five people in an organization and there's still the same amount of stuff to (laughs) do, I have to wear like four or five hats, context switch, context switch all the time. And that's where my execution skills really shine. Mm -hmm. I can have like four or five different things going on at the same time and really push them forward. I have Excel spreadsheets to (laughs) track. I'm an Excel spreadsheet fan, of course, if I'm execution-oriented, so I track everything very carefully and I get a lot of output (laughs) because of the execution. If I didn't, then I would be doing a lot less for the company and I wouldn't be able to help everyone as much as I can. Mm. I get my own work done, and then I turn and say, okay, now I now I have some space here to find out what more I could do to help an engineer or help our VP of sales yeah, yeah. accomplish their goals.
0: How do you describe yourself as a decision maker, if that question makes sense?
1: I like to get different points of view uh, and from different areas even outside the company. Sometimes I ask my family. I set up a situation mm. when I'm trying to make a decision on something and I say, "Okay, you guys aren't involved in the the gory detail, maybe you'll have a different view on this." So I set it all up and they'll give me some ideas before making a decision. I am very I'm confident in my decision making, but I do like the mm-hmm. input mm-hmm. because I- four people or five people's ideas are better than just one. <laughs>
0: has your has the decision making style changed over time too?
1: Yes. I was not as collaborative. Mm. Early in my career, mm-hmm. I felt like it was I'm the manager. Right. I'm in charge. Right. I'm supposed to make all the decisions. I'm supposed to set up the process and define the define the approaches to things. And I've backed off of that and now have what I hope is a more collaborative method. Sometimes though there are situations that i call 911. Mm. So in this in this someone with a working style like mine comes in really handy cuz i have no problem stepping in and making a decision right. really quickly right. because there's an urgent there's an urgency and you don't have time yeah. to have all that collaboration. It's like okay, i've got to make a decision, i'm just going to base it on the knowledge i have mm-hmm. and my gut feel and emotional you know, input and and just go because this is nine one one.
0: I can see why you're having fun in this stage business. <laughs> you get to do the high level stuff, the low level stuff. You get to have speed and change and all those kinds of things. That's mm-hmm. really neat. Mm-hmm. How? Uh, let's see. Do you have a? Vi- is there a vision for the business in addition to the strategy?
1: Yes. So we do. We do have a strategy, and we establish it year by year. So our strategy yeah. last year is different than our strategy this year. But our vision is to uh, to be, wh- when there's a, an advanced manufacturing machine in a manufacturing facility that has the ULENDO sticker on it, just imagine <laughs> this concept, the, the ingredient branding like Intel Inside, yeah. you know, that whole concept. When they see that ULENDO has been involved they know uh, the mat- the manufacturing machine is higher quality and more efficient in many ways. That's kind of the overall vision. We want to be seen, mm. and it's our thought leadership. This year, it's our one of our two mm. pillars is thought leadership. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of activities around advancing our thought leadership with that long term vision of being seen as someone in the industry that can bring really bold ideas mm. to. Essentially, realize what people call Industry 4.0. Yeah,
0: yeah. Have you faced, I guess, at any of the clients' time when there was somewhat of a crisis, and and you know what does it look like to lead through that? Hmm.
1: Well, I've had really unhappy customers. So hmm. I've, and this usually happens. Like the ones that I remember is when I just joined the company, and all of a sudden, you have to fly out to California wow. to this very angry customer. <laughs> <laughs> and try to deal and take with responsibility. It. And take responsibility. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. And you know what I do? I don't make any excuses. Yeah. You know, this is my job. I'm in this role. This is mm. I'm going to take care of it. I do a fall on the sword when it's appropriate. Mm. I push back when it's appropriate. Mm. But those are boys. Those are some of the hardest hardest things because you promised something to a customer. They expected you to do something, and you came up short. Yeah. I don't like to come up short. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. <laughs> the My next question was going to be, what's the hardest part of running the business? And I think you've talked about some of that, which is just like getting your leadership style in the right place. But but besides that leadership stuff, is there, like, what for you is the hardest part about running a business?
1: Yeah. So this is the first company I've led where I've done fundraising. And guess what? As soon as I took the job, everything started to go south. And the first thing I had to do was fundraise. So trying to raise money in a very ambiguous mm. and situation, you know, economics-wise, has been very difficult. And yeah. doing it for the first time has been a struggle. Yeah. yeah. But the colleagues that I talk to, I am being successful. I am raising money. Mm-hmm. I am able to raise some, but That's it's right. not as much as I want. It's right. taking longer right. than I want. And the thing that worries me is I really wish I could just wrap that up. And focus on sales yeah. to customers because yeah. it's really, really where the growth of the company is going to go. the The investment from outside is to is to bridge us over hmm. to you know our second and third and fourth customer contract.
0: Yeah, yeah. So raising money from investors is not just the same as sales to customers.
1: It's way different. Hmm. Yeah, it's. I thought that too. I thought, oh, if I just have sales, you know, experience or yeah. sales flair or ability commu- to communicate. That would work. But the value proposition for customers is so different mm. than the value proposition to investors. And investors, the stage I'm at, our company is at, is angels, is raising money from yeah. angel groups. So that means there's more individuals involved. There's right. more personalities involved. Very high touch. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's in some ways the hardest kind of fundraising.
0: And I would say my experience is that there just can be more If you're selling to a business, it can be more rational than, so you didn't have to say that and you don't even have to agree or disagree, but, um, (laughs) but you know, and and a lot of times uh, with angels, you're dealing with people who who have been successful and have a style that has worked for them, and uh, all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there any conventional wisdom that you find is not, doesn't, doesn't fit with what your experience is, whether that's kind of business, leadership? change uh, yeah
1: yeah so I've heard in mul- multiple situations when you see a toxic person or when there's someone in your organization that's kind of disrupting the Apple cart mm. not just not playing around playing along
2: hmm.
1: get rid of them quickly hmm. I I don't think that's right hmm. it I, there's a nuance to it Make sure you understand what's going on first. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Because
1: there could be something going on at home with their health. Yeah. It could be that they operated just fine before and now something has changed. Yeah. And I think sometimes people are too quick. Yeah, yeah. to just say, "Oh, there's a problem, child. Let's just we don't have time to mess with that. Let's push them to the side." and bring in somebody else
0: what I heard you say was make sure you understand what's going on with that person what I thought you were going to say was make sure you understand what their criticism is of the organization or of the you know and it may be that when you're talking toxic there's not a criticism it's just they're not you know they're not what behaving performing right so interesting have you lived that out have you lived out the giving a person, fi- like digging in and finding that, finding yep. out more about them?
1: Yeah, okay. absolutely. Multiple yeah. times. Is
0: it, what, it, it sounds, it sounds like it makes sense. It sounds human, right, and, and, and caring, and it also sounds somewhat complicated.
1: Yeah, so I'm not I'm not a person that is really high on the social intelligence. I, I think I have like a, an average amount. This is a blind, kind of a, I won't, well, it's not a blind spot, but it's, it's not real clear to me. That's why I say I'm not a natural. Yeah. I feel if I had a higher, way higher level of social so, intelligence, I would have picked up on some things uh-huh. that people were feeling or saying or you know, just reading body language in the right way or really understanding you know, what was the reason someone did or said something that way. So yeah. I had to work hard at it. Yeah,
0: yeah. This is connecting to me for some reason to the point you made earlier about vulnerability. Do you, so it sounds like you worked with five dysfunctions of a team to, but do you do other things to kind of intentionally build the muscle of people being able to be vulnerable or build the environment for people to be vulnerable? Or, or is it just you kind of living the value and then having that
1: grow? So some people are never going to want to be vulnerable. That's something you have to realize. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I didn't realize this for a very long time. I thought, why would anybody be worried about admitting that they don't know something or they feel uncomfortable with something well well, some people don't they feel like it's a sign of weakness and there's nothing i can do about that so trying to pick it up in different ways Mm. without having them say it explicitly you know i love it if everyone Mm. could just come in and if they're having a bad day or they're worried about something say it right explicitly but not everyone's comfortable doing that
0: you know one of the (laughs) observations i've had is that when you have somebody who is not willing is less comfortable being vulnerable where you get the truth is actually in the sidecar is is in the conversations that aren't about whatever it is. And so I've had to be really tune in to okay, this person if I ask them how their day is, they're not going to tell me. But if I listen to the clues that they give when they're telling me about the other stuff and then amplify that, that that's where the kind of truth comes out. I don't know what you think of that.
1: I I agree. So yes, and uh, let me connect this with something. So I have a particular interviewing style and i've been told interviewing candidates for uh, positions i've been told that the way that i conduct interviews i can get people to say and i know that <laughs> sounds bad people end up because of the way i do it people end up telling me things they never thought that they would tell me wow. and the realization came you know thinking man everyone's nervous when they do an interview yeah. and really all you want to do is have their real self come out yeah. So I started, I developed a a couple of questions to kind of disarm and kind of bring the stress level down. Like, what kind of music do you like? Yeah. Or what do you do for fun? That's the one, when I ask that during an interview, the reactions that I get is like, whoa. (laughs) So if someone's super, super stressful, if I can tell it, Mm -hmm. I ask those right up front to calm everything down. Or I tell them a bit about my musical interests or things that I, Uh. you know, just to get them Opened and being the, wow. the real genuine self.
0: Wow, wow. Neat stuff. I do want to make sure that we talk about the next generation, or whatever the right way to be, talk about rising leaders. So what's your experience about helping and engaging with the current group of rising leaders to the extent that we can generalize?
1: Yes. So. When I was at my buys, and I'm talking about like the 2011, 2015 time frame, I happened to, this particular company recruited folks right from the college campus. We had a lot of very early stage folks that were very early in their career. Mm. So I got a lot of practice. Mm. Mentoring, inspiring, hiring, coaching, people who like in some cases didn't know how to organize a meeting and run a meeting so they yeah. had I mean they had to learn basic stuff like that that you don't you don't take a college course high school course yeah. to, to teach you that um, so hmm, I'm not where sure where to
0: go from that um are there any generalizations oh that yes. you would make
1: right right so technology <laughs> is so I like I like to be real open that I, I'm not really in a natural at technology although I've had a technology yeah. job the whole time Folks that were born with a cell phone in, with a s- cell phone in their hands, a smartphone in their hands, they just pick up things more intuitively. Yeah. And that's one thing that I use as as some humor. So I admit that I don't know how to do something and I ask them, you know, I do this repetitive thing all the time. I'm sure there's a quicker way to do it and <laughs> people are so they're so excited about helping you yeah. the next generation. It's like yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm like right on the edge of being a boomer. It's like, oh, here goes my boomer thing again. And they just (laughs) laugh and they come over and they just want (laughs) to help. It's a great way to develop a a close relationship. (laughs)
0: Um, All right. I think so before I do a couple of questions to wrap up that I think are fun. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you think is interesting or intriguing that you have to share?
1: Yes. So the most stressful part of my entire career came when we were selling Kinetica Labs and this was in the summer of 2021, so people were still not interacting mm. in a three-dimensional way all the time. So it was all done through Zoom and some people I never even met, you know, live.
2: Yeah.
1: The, when you're going through an acquisition and, and the acquirer is doing the due diligence, sometimes there are periods of time where, you know, we would turn around stuff really quickly because we're small and nimble. We can do that. And then it would go over to the acquirer, which mm. was a, who was a lot bigger. And there would be a week, a week mm. and a half lag in time. That killed me. Mm. My health started deteriorating. Wow. I started gaining weight. My stress was so bad I had hives all over my body because I knew that at any point the acquisition mm. could tank. Yeah. So those periods of time when there was just waiting were the worst. I mean, it was so surprising to me. The next time I go through this, I'm going to select someone in my group of colleagues in my network and i'm going to say i need a coach mm-hmm. i need somebody who i can talk to multiple times a week mm-hmm. to keep up keep you up on the details of what's happening and you can calm me down yeah. uh, help me with yeah. some options i wish i had done that during the acquisition but it ended up happening yeah. but i was in bad shape by the end
0: <laughs> i i've heard those are incredibly stressful times oh. and i've just been through a few but yeah the one of the things I made my peace with over the last year is that sometimes I just call up my coach, and they tell me the stuff that I already know, but it's just soothing to have somebody mm-hmm. else say it. I th- I'm reminded of kids that just want to hear that same book over and over again, and I'm like, can you tell me that stuff that you usually tell me? Because mm-hmm. I need to hear it.
1: Even be- even professional coaches need a coach. Right. <laughs> everybody, everybody can use a coach, because it's just, even if they're just saying the same thing, like you just said, saying... Things yeah. you already heard, it's soothing, and it's like, yep, I'm, am still here. Yeah. This is, I'm thinking the right things. Everything's gonna be fine. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> neat. So I think for wrap up, I'd love to turn to the next year, and see see if you have some sense of what's coming for you, and maybe for coming for us too. But let's start with you. So, what do you think is going to be the hardest thing about the next year?
1: So where, so for the company, for you, uh, or for, yeah, for, for, for you and the company, for me and whatever, the company. Yeah. So we have one customer now we're at that really tender point where we need to get the second and the third mm-hmm. and the fourth uh, and doing that in a way that we don't give away the farm. Mm-hmm. You can you can get desperate, right? Yeah. Just to be just to say you've got, you know, four customers versus just one, but you could basically leave a lot of money on the table. Mm-hmm. That's that's going to be our biggest our biggest challenge right there.
0: I I think pricing conversations that I've been in are some of the most complicated ambiguous ones that I- how do you navigate that and, and deciding whether to take a little less money or a lot less money but get the win on the customer side or not?
1: We're struggling with that. Yeah. I got a, a brand new VP of sales who he's been with the company for two months and we're all, all of us have these discussions. In fact, yesterday we spent hours talking back and forth about what should we do with this, this potentially biggest customer we could have. Yeah. It might be our second one. Yeah. So we're, you know, strategizing a little bit about it. And one of the things that I don't know if this is right or wrong, but it just instinctually came up, came out of my mouth was, look, I'm talking to the prospect. We want to just find a way to make this as low friction as possible. So not a lot of administrative burden. We want to be easy to work with. And we want to find a win-win. Mm-hmm. We're trying to find a way mm-hmm. to price what we have that works for you. You feel like you get enough value and we get value so we can continue to improve this product and pile on a, a second one and a yeah. third one and a fourth one that will also help you. Yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, yeah. it's just kind of being transparent and, t- yeah. and saying we don't, we're willing to be flexible, but have a framework. We've got a framework of a couple of options mm. that yeah, we throw out and discuss. Okay.
0: That's what I generally get to is mm. got to offer them options and then see where they step.
1: Yep cuz okay. yeah cuz one one customer might have a completely different reality than
0: than right. another one. All right. Boy, that's a good one, Brenda. So that's the hardest. How about the best or the most fun or whatever? What's the what's going to be the upside of the next year?
1: Getting the second and the third. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I love that. You know what it what it would be is I'm looking forward to the next team celebration that we have. We've yeah. had we've had two so far. Huh. We celebrated when, it, when we got our very first check. It was only $9,000, but that's a significant Mm -hmm. milestone in a startup company. We celebrate it as a team. And just last week, we had a second celebration, and that was all about being successful on our our first customer and getting a million-dollar grant from the uh, National Science Foundation. So as a team, now as a bigger team one year later, we had a larger celebration and then next year i hope to have an even bigger one with more that. team members that's the part of this whole process that i love that yeah. point in time when you all get to know one another's families we invite the families yeah. you get to know the spouses and the children and everything becomes more personal and more fun yeah. after yeah. that
0: what uh, so what does the celebration look like so
1: Is our fir- our first one was Whirly ball okay our second one was Fowling. oh yeah, the, at the folding warehouse, a combination of bowling and football. People are already giving me ideas for the next <laughs> yeah. one. Paint and pour was one suggestion. Escape room was another one. We have competitive people on our team, okay. so we we like the competition. So we'll usually do some either competition or some type of creation, like the paint yeah. and pour.
0: And then I'm not a macro guy, so this would be a hard question for me. But I'll ask it anyway. If you look at ahead to the next year. Same questions. You know, what do you think is going to be the hardest at a broad level and, and the best at a broad level?
1: Hmm. I don't want to get political.
0: Right. Get,
1: getting, you know, some of the divisiveness that we're all experiencing it really worries me. And I'm hoping that we can get over that. And, and you know, having COVID in the middle of all, it's all wrapped yeah. up in COVID and yeah. people having difficulties with mental health. And, I mean, it's all a swirling pot of stuff and i think those would be some of the best and the worst and if if we don't yeah. if we don't figure it out it will not be good but if we do we should be proud
0: yeah i think there's a whole interesting area that i'm not going to do in this podcast around how that broad swirl that you're talking about overlaps into business because there are there i know that there are people in business that are living that out at a very tactical level day in and day out mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like that's coming to roost in some ways and you know, the as much as it's happening at a broad level, it's it's also happening at a, at a micro or, or a personal level. Mm-hmm. All right, then let's jump to 5 or 10 years from now, so some distant point. And, you know, you can either choose the macro or, or your personal. But, like, where, where, do you, where do you hope to be or where do you hope the company is or what do you envision for that broader time frame?
1: Yes. So in a 5 to 10-year time frame, we will have sold ULENDO We'll probably go through a series A on that path mm. to, to that. Um, but I've already started that, you know, the courting of potential acquisition yeah. candidates. It takes years yeah. sometimes. So I see that in the future. And then that means for me, the next chapter, I think I'm ready for the reason why I started all this entrepreneurship stuff in the first place mm. is to realize a dream that I have. I want to utilize economic development to break the cycle of poverty. I have been in places in the world where I've done, you know, one month volunteer projects and seen how entrepreneurism can change the trajectory of a family, especially for women. I I want to be in that place where I'm using all the things mm-hmm. I learned from doing it yeah. to go to a place that needs it and and I Part of that is my joy of just learning new cultures. I just right. I've spent right. decades traveling all over the world and embedding myself in the culture of the place. And it's kind of extension an extension of that. That's why I originally got into entrepreneurism.
0: Wow. And so that's where you're headed.
1: That's where I'm headed.
0: Which in some ways is another startup. Yes.
1: hmm yeah. It'll have and a,
0: and a whole bunch of helping a whole bunch of other startups. Exactly. Yeah. Yep.
1: Being being a coach of
0: startups like economic development.
1: You know, programs so
0: powerful. That's really great. So again, this is Brenda Jones with ULENDO. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Or if they want to learn more, maybe is a better question.
1: www.ulendo.io. Okay. There are there's a place where you can ask a question or make a comment, and I see every single one of those. And unless as long as they're not spam, I respond to every single one. So that is the way to learn more about the company. And also, if you have any ideas or have any questions, you can use our contact page.
0: And of course, you teed me up and I did not follow through. So can you tell us about your musical interests?
1: Yes. So in 2018, I was introduced to electronic dance music by my son. And I am a devotee now. I actually have favorite artists. I go to music festivals, you know, camping music festivals Electric Forest is one. Mm. I'm wearing a oh, yeah. electric forest yeah. uh, bracelet right here. We go to we're going to a couple of new ones this year. This is my biggest year for concerts and electronic music festivals. Oh
0: neat. Electric forest is coming up. Yes, right? it is at nice. the end of June.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Ready to go. <laughs>
0: Terrific. Well, we're here at the downtown Ann Arbor Library. Thank you again for the podcast room for this. And Brenda, thanks so much. It was really interesting conversation. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Spark.Grow, a podcast series brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark. To learn more about Spark, visit annarborusa.org. Thank you to the Ann Arbor District Libraries, our recording partner. You can learn more about their resources at aadl.org.